Welcome to Extraterrestrial Reality. Uh, today I want to talk about the psychology of people who are denying the reality of the extraterrestrial presence. And uh, what spurred me into uh, putting this podcast together today was an article that I had read earlier this morning uh, on Psychology Today, uh, written by Eric Hasseltine, PhD. And the title of this article is The Danger of UFOs is Not What You Think. Our Psychological Response to the Unfamiliar Holds the Real Threat. And basically what I got out of this article, the gist of the entire thing is uh, uh, Hasseltine argues that basically because there's this giggle factor uh, involved with UFOs and and reporting them uh, by p- people within the military not, and, and people afraid to take it seriously that uh, what this could cause what this could cause what it could lead to is that we could get end up getting uh, caught with our pants down if some foreign uh, con- enemy country with some uh, new technology leapfrog technology. Uh, all, all of a sudden shows up and we're just not prepared for it. And that's the danger of this uh, because it's this, uh, because we, there's this giggle factor associated with UFOs. People think it's always funny. <laughs> UFOs, <laughs> that's crazy. You know, that kind of attitude. So what I want to do here is I also want to provide my my own thoughts on the psychological response of uh, some people with regard to the extraterrestrial presence and UFOs. Uh, and uh, it, it, I don't think you need a PhD uh, for what I'm going to talk about later. Anyway, uh, let's get into this article here. It states, uh, I want to go through, I'm going to read it from the beginning here. It says, I knew an intelligence officer who decades ago returned from the field with strong evidence that an adversary might be employing extremely unorthodox techniques to mask their activities. When he presented his suspicions to superiors, the response was, keep your theories to yourself. That's so bizarre. The giggle factor will destroy your reputation. Uh, The giggle factor applied to any topic such as UFOs, ESP, or far-out theories that were so far removed from normal experience that serious intelligence professionals would snicker at both the idea and whoever advanced the idea. Well, you know, let me just stop there for a second. You know, the giggle factor that he's talking about here, uh, this is something that uh, started, you know, pretty early on there were some people when when UFOs start showing up in the late 40s and a lot of newspaper articles sometimes they would make fun of it even in the 1890s uh, the late 1890s during the eight uh, the airship uh, craze where people were seeing these strange airships in 1896 and 1897 a lot of newspapers back then were uh, making fun of it but really uh, what really hurt the, the this subject i believe was the fact that the united states government after this robertson panel uh met in 1953 uh they wanted to debunk this and from that from that point on they didn't want to cause hysteria uh with regard to this subject so what they wanted to do was debunk try to debunk everything they wanted the united states military to debunk everything from that point on and then of course as uh the condon committee in 1969 which led to the closure of project blue book i mean that that pretty much allowed the air force to wash its hands of, of investigating ufos and and from that point on yeah it's you know, it's it's been determined it's it's there's nothing to it according to this edward condon who signed off on this report he he gave the opinion that there's no reason to even look into this scientifically even though there were other people who were part of that uh, investigation for the condon committee that thought that well there's there's things here that we can't explain so there is uh uh we we would benefit from a scientific investigation but so that's one of the reasons why we have this giggle factor and even even today even even after the last what six years now uh seven years we're going on now since the release of the pentagon videos uh the leak those leaked videos 
We still have it, but not as bad. It's starting to get a little bit better, I think. But anyway, let's continue with this article. It says here, a present-day example of the giggle factor surrounds the United States Defense Department's investigation into UFOs, now called Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, or UAPs. It's actually Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena. I just want to make that correction. Despite establishing a formal office to investigate UAP and encouraging Department of Defense employees to report sightings without fear of the consequences, the reality is that many officials working in national security privately or not so privately snicker at the possibility that UFOs are real, viewing anyone who takes the topic seriously as part of the tinfoil hat brigade. Uh... I, I don't uh, I don't know how this guy knows this. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that one. Uh, I think they are starting to take it more seriously. And uh, uh, I, I don't know if there, there, there have been a lot more reports have been getting have been getting filed uh, by uh, military personnel. Uh, oh, it's, you know, that's something that's we, we, we've been seeing. So I don't know if, what he's talking about there, but. Oh, let's continue here. He says, I learned this from conversations with current and former officials familiar with the Pentagon's UFO investigations while researching my new book co-authored with Chris Gilbert, uh, The New Science of UFOs, New Insights into an Old Mystery. Now, let me just stop there. I haven't read this book yet, but I, I think I might. I might pick this one up and check it out, see what he has to say. One individual told me, yeah, the Pentagon set up the UAP investigation group, but it was all window dressing to get members of Congress who want answers about UFOs off their backs. Now, let me just stop here for a second. I, I Actually, in a way, I do agree with that statement. I think that the Arrow Office, for instance, is window dressing. They don't really care. They're not trying to do any kind of serious investigation into this. That's because uh, embedded within the Pentagon is the secret control group, which is in charge of uh, studying UFOs, in charge of the crash retrievals and reverse engineering, and they don't want that stuff to be, they don't want Congress to know about this stuff. That's what that's about. Anyway, continuing here, it says Lou Elizondo, who led the Pentagon UAP investigations until 2017, said that he wanted to alert Secretary of Defense Mattis to flight safety and potential military hazards of UAP, but the but the Praetorian Guard around the Secretary wouldn't allow it wouldn't allow that. Uh, in frustration, Elizondo resigned to continue his investigations outside the government. Now, this is an interesting. Uh, comment coming up here, uh, a par- interesting paragraph. He states, Elizondo and others who took UFOs seriously were not victims of a sinister cover-up or conspiracy, but a fundamental psychological need to believe we have control of our lives in the present and to predict what will happen to us in the future. Now, uh, I, 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 I agree and I don't agree with this because I mean, I think that we are all victims of this cover-up because of greed and 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 power and, and things like that. That's what this is all about. I mean, uh, the, the reverse engineering these things to try to get an upper hand on on our enemies. Uh, that, and, and, the, and that's what's happening here in the United States. I, I firmly believe that, based on all the research by different people over many decades. Right, I've come to that conclusion. I think that we are the victims of that. But at the same time, I do agree. Uh, that there is a need among people like Elizondo and others, the, you know, there there are concerns here that would uh, be raised psychologically in anyone that oh yeah we need we need we need to get control of this but we we can't I don't see how we ever could I mean even if we knew the answers even if we knew what the Pentagon knows right the, the secret control group it's not going to help anything anybody right psychologically it's going to show that we we are powerless against any any of these extraterrestrials that are here doing whatever they they're doing we just wouldn't have the technology to to do anything about it obviously we don't anyway continuing here it says 
Research on the roots of emotional stress demonstrates that feeling out of control in the present and uncertain about the future are two of the biggest drivers of chronic stress. Yeah, that's uh, perfectly true. I mean, I, I totally agree with that. As a result, we unconsciously adjust our perception of events to remain inside a low-stress comfort zone where we have at least the illusion of control and predictability of our fates. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with I, this. All of this is making sense to me. But again, uh, we're, we're at this, uh, uh, we're in this situation. Uh, the, one of the reasons that Elizondo and others, they, they recognize that there's an issue out there that you know, these things could cause crashes. I mean, we need to know more about these UAP and we think the public needs to know about it too. But of course, because of the secrecy involved in this, the, the, that, the, that we've been uh, enduring now for almost 80 years, uh, we're not getting that. And it's, it, it, even though a lot of people think that if we got more answers from the Pentagon, we're, we're, that will solve the problem. But I don't, you, in a way, this, that's why I agree here with, with uh, Hassel's time, because this is what people will be concerned. There's no question about it. It will, be, be, it will affect some people psychologically. They're going to feel like this, we're, this is out of our control. It says, and he continues here, thus, we presented evidence of uncontrollable or unpredictable changes to our lives. We tend to discount and even giggle at looming disruptions like climate change, COVID-19, UFOs, and other circumstances far outside our normal experience. In this light, the Pentagon's persistent UFO giggle factor is simply the deep-seated desire most of us have to remain inside our comfort zone, and social pressure reinforces our tendency to discount improbable looming events as no one wants to be labeled as the boy who cried wolf or chicken little. Although UFOs may all turn out to be misidentifications of benign human activity, errant party balloons or drones, natural phenomena, ball lightning, or perceptual errors like optical illusions, credible reports, video and radar information captured by the United States Navy in 2004 and 2015 suggest that something more exotic and unexplained is behind a few of the reports. Yeah, well, there was most certainly something more exotic behind some of these reports. Of course, as we all, I think everyone in the UFO community agrees, a vast number of UFO reports could be attributed to uh, natural phenomena or balloons or misidentifications and so on and so forth. But there is most certainly a percentage uh, that are not, that are something else, that are uh, things that are exhibiting a technology that far exceeds anything that we have. Anyway, continuing here, he says, he writes, uh, something exotic does not necessarily mean ETs, but could indicate that a foreign adversary has leapfrogged the United States in aerospace technology, which has occurred before when Russia surprised us with the first satellite, Sputnik, and both China and Russia fielded, fielded hypersonic missiles long before we did. If some UFO sightings are indeed foreign actors surveilling us or testing our responses and military capabilities... UFOs are frequently reported around U.S. military ranges and nuclear areas, then UFOs merit more than a giggle from defense officials. I, I totally agree with that. They do merit more than a giggle. And, and what he's saying here is that this could lead to trouble because some people in the military, because not everyone in the Pentagon is apprised of this reality, obviously, right? Uh, I, I, it's highly compartmented. I mean, some people suggest that there could be like up to four to 500 people total that know about this, uh, the reality of the situation, and that's it. The rest of, are, are out there. They don't, they don't know about it. They're, they're, they're not, uh, they don't have the clearances to know about it, and that's one of the issues here. Uh, and it could lead to trouble down the road, as Hasseltine uh, will point out here. 
It says here, but the long-standing association of UFOs and aliens will continue to cause potentially real non-alien threats to national security from UFOs to be the, quote, baby that is thrown out with the bathwater, end quote, and continue to be discounted. If a foreign actor surprised us in a future co- conflict using leapfrog technology, it's hard to say what would happen on the battlefield, but one thing is certain, no one in the Pentagon would be giggling anymore. Then he gets into here the larger danger of the giggle factor. He says the UFO giggle factor raises a far bigger issue than the origins of mysterious flying objects that may or may not pose a threat. Unconsciously adjusting our perceptions to reduce stress associated with potentially disruptive phenomena is normal and even healthy under most circumstances because stress is a big driver of both physical and mental illness. Uh, Most certainly, there's no question about it. Uh, And you would have to imagine... Uh, this is one of the issues. This is why a lot of people do want disclosure because they they want to know. They want to be able to know what's going on, and in this way, they they maybe they think they'll feel comfortable in it. But there's there's a lot more to this, and I'm going to get into it when we when we're through with this article. It says here. But the pace of change from technology, globalization, demographic shifts, and other factors is accelerating so that unfamiliar and uncomfortable disruptions to our jobs, our relationships, and our well-being are likely to come at us at an ever-increasing rate. Ridiculing the prospect of the most extreme of these looming disruptions will keep us in our comfort zones for a while, but sooner or later leave us ill-prepared for the next 9-11 pandemic, war, or capital riot. Yes, we should not overreact to the prospect of low probability high impact disruptions but neither should we giggle lest someone else enjoy the last laugh uh yeah and you know what someone else that's someone else who might be enjoying the last laugh might be those extraterrestrial visitors themselves uh but i see where he's going with this it's it's definitely an interesting article i thought i'll leave the link so you could check it out for yourself uh but it, may, it had me thinking after i read this that you know uh, the psychology of the people who are just denying what we have in front of our faces and what we've had in front of our faces for a very long time. I mean, there's something here, folks. Oh, you think about it, all of the uh, the evidence that has been collected over the years, the, the multiple, all the multiple sightings, the, the, the multiple reports from people who have come in contact with extraterrestrials, all of the, some of the uh, military personnel that have stepped forward over the years to talk about uh, that there is a cover-up, that there are things going on behind the scenes. There's so much at this point, but yet there's a, a a gigantic portion of the world that just continues to ignore this. And that's because they not, psychologically, it frightens them. And that's, I think that that's one of the things that drives a lot of these debunkers to to do the things they do because uh this reality of the extraterrestrial presence obviously takes them out of their comfort zone and they don't want this to be real and that's and they want everyone else to think hey it's not real either and they'll stick up for 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 when when some government uh uh official steps up to a microphone and starts uh, telling us lies about there's nothing here we never recovered any craft and blah 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 that they'll champion that they love that because they need it that's what they want to hear but the reality is folks there is an extraterrestrial presence here and there's so much evidence all around us i'm gonna i'm gonna focus on on just one little small portion of that evidence right now actually i want to start here uh this is a little uh uh paragraph here from richard dolan's ufos in the national security state uh on page uh, hold on a second on page uh, 87 and it's talking about wilbert smith this guy was a uh a canadian engineer it says here 
Uh, on September 15th, Canadian government official, and this is in uh, 1950, on September 15th, Canadian government official and engineer Wilbert Smith came to the United States with several colleagues and met in the office of Robert Sawbarker, a physicist with the United States Defense Department Research and Development Board. Uh, and then later on, it states here, to Smith's question as to whether saucers exist, Sarbacher replied, yes, they exist, and we have not been able to duplicate their performance. He also said Smith, he also told Smith that the UFO subject was classified two points higher even than the H-bomb. In fact, it is the most highly classified subject in the United States government at the present time. Uh, as for the reasons... As for the reason for the classification, Sarbacher replied, you may ask, but I can't tell you that Sarbacher did not know. What's interesting about this was that this information, this was something uh, Wilbert Smith actually wrote, had notes, and after he died, he, uh, when people were going through his notes, they found this information, and I want to talk about this because... Uh, Actually, this Sawbacher was still when these when after Smith died in uh, in in the early eighties, uh, somebody some UFO researchers contacted Sawbacher. He was still alive at the time in in nineteen eighty three. He was uh, in his mid seventies, and uh, here's a little article. Uh, this is from Infinity Explorers, uh, and this article headline reads: Einstein. This guy was a, a student of Einstein, by the way. Einstein student, Dr. Robert Sawbacher's confirmation of UFO crash and reverse engineering attempts. And it says here, on September 15, 1950, a remarkable interview took place in Washington, D.C., but it remained classified until the early 1980s when Canadian UFO researcher Arthur Bray discovered a memo written by Canadian engineer Wilbert B. Smith that discussed an alleged UFO crash rumor confirmed by a former student of Einstein, Dr. Robert Sarbacher. And here's, I'm going to go through this article a little bit. And it says, here's the background of this Robert Sarbacher. Uh, he he uh, he actually died. he ended up uh, dying in 1986, three years after this. Uh, after he was, uh, he after he confirmed this meeting with Wilbert Smith, it says here he was a preeminent scientist with a diverse background. He went to Harvard and he was dean of the graduate school, director of research at Wed Laboratories, a successful inventor and a scientific consultant to the United States Marines and government agencies. He was also connected to the Joint Research and Development Board of the United States Department of Defense. He did a lot of research on rockets that could be controlled from a distance, specifically those that could be controlled remotely. Later, he would start the Washington Institute of Technology. His work in the field of remote-controlled rockets was considered cutting-edge during the Cold War era, and his research was used in the development of cruise missiles. So let me just stop there for a second. This guy, Sarbacher, is in Incredible. I mean, what a background. What a, what? A, this guy was a highly intelligent person, right? Uh, and then it says here, in the 1980s, Sawbacher confirmed several facts about UFOs and extraterrestrial life to researchers William Steinman, Stanton Friedman, Jerry Clark, and William Moore. He said that he had been officially told about the crash of an extraterrestrial craft in the Southwest in the early 1950s. The crash may have been the Roswell UFO crash, or it may have happened at a different town, time. He also confirmed that the issue was considered more important than the development of the, of the atomic bomb, and that the debris was both incredibly light and highly durable. He stated that the aliens were lightweight and constructed somewhat like insects. Now, uh, I just want to, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, talk about this letter. Now, Steinman sent him a letter asking him some questions about uh, the things that were found in Wilbert uh, Smith's notes. 
And this is the letter. Uh, I'm going to pull it up here on screen here so we can see it. And I want to go through this letter, and then we're going to talk. We'll talk about it. And uh, I want to point some things out about this. Uh, uh, and this letter was. Uh, it says it was written uh, November 25th, 1983. It says, "Dear Mr. Steinman, I." Uh, I am sorry I have taken. Oh, let me put my glasses on here. I am sorry I have taken so long in answering your questions. However, I have moved my office and have had to make a number of extended trips to answer your last question in your letter of October fourteenth, nineteen eighty-three. There is no particular reason I feel I shouldn't or couldn't answer any or all of your questions. I am delighted to answer all of them to the best of my ability. Uh, you listed some of your questions in your letter of September 12th. I will attempt to answer them as you had listed them. One, relating to my own experiences, excuse me, relating to my own experience regarding recovered flying saucers, I had no association with any of the people involved in the recovery and have no knowledge regarding the dates of the recoveries. If I had, I would send it to you. Two, regarding verification that persons you list were involved, I can only say this. John Von Neumann was definitely involved. Dr. Vannevar Bush was definitely involved. And I think Dr. Robert Oppenheimer also. Let me just stop there for a second. You know, I was just talking about uh, that white hot, alleged white hot uh, Roswell document that was uh, submitted from Nate, General Nathan Twining to President uh, Harry Truman in 1947 and some of the names on here and this this by the way this letter was written before any majestic documents were leaked by the way just to point that out uh, but as we know Vannevar Bush's name was was on that letter he was part of majestic 12 uh, according to the majestic 12 documents as well as he was listed in the uh, white hot document and also Robert Oppenheimer was one of the uh, people that was listed in that white hot document so Continuing here, my association with the research and development board under Dr. Compton during the Eisenhower administration was rather limited so that although I had been invited to participate in several discussions associated with the reported recoveries, I could not personally attend the meetings. I am sure that they would have asked Dr. Von Braun and the others that you listed were probably asked and may or may not have attended. This is all I know for sure. Three, I did receive some official reports when I was in my office at the Pentagon, but all of these were left there as at that t- as at the time we were never supposed to take them out of the office. So is, isn't it interesting? Uh, he's talking about actually seeing some of the documents related to these crashes and the retrieval efforts. He said that he saw them in this letter, in this letter that he wrote uh, in his when he was in his mid-70s in 1983. He died three years later after this letter. And you, as you could tell, this guy was of sound mind. This is not some letter that was written by some crackpot, right? Like maybe some debunkers might have you believe. This is, he's he's relating his memory. You could tell he's as sharp as a, as a tack when he's, uh, what he's writing here. This letter is put together very well. And of course, I'll leave the link so you can check it out for yourself. Uh, continuing here, it says, four, I do not recall receiving any photographs such as you request, so I am not in the position to answer. Five, I have to make the same reply as on number four. I recall the interview with Dr. Brenner of the Canadian Embassy. I think the answers I gave him were the ones you listed. Naturally, I was more familiar with the subject matter under discussion at, at, at that time. Actually, I would have been able to give more specific answers had I attended the meetings concerning the subject. You must understand that I took this assignment as a private contribution. We were called dollar-a-year men. My first responsibility was the maintenance of my own business activity. 
so that my participation was limited. About the only thing I remember at this time is that certain materials reported to have come from flying saucer crashes were extremely light and very tough. I am sure our laboratories analyzed them very carefully. There were reports that instruments or people operating these machines were also of very light weight, sufficient to withstand the tremendous deceleration and acceleration associated with their machinery. I remember in talking with some of the people at the office that I got the impression these aliens were constructed like certain insects we have observed on Earth, wherein, because of the low mass, the inertial forces involved in operation of these instruments would be quite low. I still do not know why the high order of classification has been given and why the denial of the existence of these devices... I am sorry it has taken me so long to reply, but I suggest you get in touch with the others who may be directly involved in this program. Um, and then he actually had a PS on there. He signed it, Robert Sa- Dr. Robert Sarbacher. And it, PS, it occurs to me that Dr. Bush's name is incorrect as you have it. Please check the spelling. I mean, this guy was uh, as as sharp as a tack at the age of 75 uh, when he's writing this letter, sending it off to uh, William Steinman at the time. Uh, and so there we go. There, there you have it. Now, this doesn't, I mean, you ha, it's, this is somebody who, uh, had some exposure to what was going on back in the 1950s with regard to crash retrievals. And he states it plainly, bluntly, uh, succinctly. And there you go. It's, it doesn't, but for some reason, evidence like this, and this is only one little tiny drop of evidence that so there's a lot of other stuff we have, right? This is this should tell you all you need to know. Yes, there's a cover up. Yes, there there's people working on this behind the scenes, right? But yet all this stuff is out there. It's in the public domain, but there's where's the, where's the mainstream media or like some people want to call it uh, nowadays the legacy media. Where are they? At? How come we're not talking about this kind of stuff? Uh, how come we're talking about uh what Mick West said about the gimbal still? Like why are we still arguing about that? I mean, we we the evidence is right there in front of us. We're we're denying it psychologically on the whole. The human race does not want to accept this reality. It's right there in front of us. We it it's always been there's enough evidence at this point that, that, that shows the world that there's something happening here. But see, the people, debunkers, uh, skeptics, they're scared. A lot of people in the UFO community don't want to accept this for some reason. It, but it's real. We are being whatever, visited, I don't know, monitored, studied, manipulated, whatever. There's an extraterrestrial presence here, but we're not, psychologically, we're not accepting it. Now, look at, I'm not no uh, PhD, right? But And I probably, if I were to give be given a, a test on psychology, I'd probably get an F. Maybe I'd get a, a four for spelling my name right, right? However, psychologically, it's pretty clear the, 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 what the problem is here. People, a vast majority of people are just not ready to accept this reality, even though the evidence is, it's, it's all around us. Look at these documents. How come the, uh, we never hear anybody talking about about this on TV for the most part. I mean, you'll see it in some UFO documentaries. You know, you'll be mentioned in, in, in places like that. Uh, but debunkers, they'll, they'll come up with a, a million excuses of why this guy was uh, wrote this letter. Oh, he must have been, he was an old man at the time. He was probably senile. That's not the letter of, of some senile old man. This is a, a guy with an incredible background, Harvard, uh, an inventor, someone who was working in, in that research board under Eisenhower. no. No, why would he say these things? He wasn't making it up. He was telling you what he knew. He actually said, stated, stated there, he actually saw documents, similarly to how David Grush is telling us today, how David Grush actually testified about this stuff in Congress. But yet, we're still playing this dumb game.
I think a lot of it, you know, and there's people in the scientific community too as well, like astronomers, like Neil deGrasse Tyson, who keep making, keeps making jokes about this kind of stuff. They just can't. Be, they they think that we're so advanced that we would see them at this point. Like uh, like you hear arguments from people like Neil deGrasse Tyson saying, oh, "All these people with cell phones. Well, we would ha- we would have the evidence by this point. These beings, if they're, they're obviously they're coming here from some place, some other planet outside of this solar system. That's what it seems like, right? That's what uh, that's my belief. Doesn't make me right. I know there's other people out there that think it's inter- interdimensional. I, I I don't subscribe to that. But whatever the case, these beings are more intelligent than us, and they possess technology that far exceeds anything that we have. We're, we're not even anywhere. How could we? How could we possibly be anywhere close to where these beings are? You know, just uh, recently, I was uh, going through an article. I was reading about President James Garfield, uh, in in, and I just want to point this out. Now, in 1881, Garfield was assassinated. He was shot by some nut named Charles uh, Guiteau. Uh, Guiteau wanted to become the uh, uh, ambassador to France uh, under Garfield's administration, and Garfield's administration said no. So Guiteau was, you know, of course, he's a nut. He decides, well, I'm going to shoot the president, and and maybe uh, Chester Arthur, will, uh, the vice president, will make me. Uh, uh, after I do that, maybe Chester Arthur will make me the ambassador. Of course, that didn't happen. Guiteau, a year after shooting Garfield, he was hanged by the neck until he was dead. But uh, what happened after Garfield was shot? He didn't die right away. It took him two months to die. So they bring him back. They bring him back to the White House. Uh, it was a really hot. Was it? It was uh, July second, eighteen eighty one, when he was shot. They bring him back to the White House where he's treated by all these doctors. Alexander Graham Bell shows up with a with this primitive uh, metal detector. Uh, one of the the, the lead doctor, uh, for some reason, believed that the bullet was lodged on on the uh, left side of of, of Garfield's body and and wouldn't let uh bell uh, use this metal detector on the right side only on the left side but that that's another story but the issue is well all these doctors were sticking their unsterilized fingers and instruments into the bullet hole in garfield which led to him getting uh, uh sepsis he got infected his body was filled with pus he died an agonizing death over the course of a couple of months uh the the, air, uh, the navy actually set up uh, uh, because it was so hot in the middle of summer, they wanted to hit the cool down the, the sick room where Garfield was in. So they actually got a box filled with ice and they put a fan, uh, fans in front of it uh, and, and to, to use as a primitive air conditioning at the time. That was less than 150 years ago. We had doctors here in the United States of America sticking their dirty fingers into the, into the bullet wound hole of James Garfield, unsterilized instruments in there, trying to find a bullet. They never found the bullet, not until the autopsy. Oh, after he was dead, they, they caused him to die. Think about that. That was less than 150 years ago. Look at look at where we have 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 gotten since there. But see, uh, we're just at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to technology and 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 uh, medical science. Like medical professionals today say that Garfield would have survived if it would have happened now because the the kind of uh, technology we have we would have saved them. But just think, that was only 150 less than 150 years ago. Where are we going to be uh, 150 years from now? Where are we going to be a thousand years from now? See, these people, uh, the, the debunkers, the deniers, right? They can't accept this reality. It's right in front of their face. They can't understand. They, they think that we're, we're at some incredible high peak of technology and we would know if they were here. We would see them. We would see it with our cell phones and blah, blah, blah. You know, how come somebody doesn't steal a, a, an ashtray out of the flying saucer to prove what the, that they were abducted? Blah, blah, blah. 
They just can't believe that there's anything else out there that is smarter than we are right now. They just can't get it out of their head. It's psychological. It scares the hell out of them. That's what's preventing us from moving forward with this. One of the reasons. Of course, the other reason is the cover-up itself. That's most certainly the case. Most certainly the case. But I just want to point these things out. That's where we are. Uh, That's what's been going on. And uh, like I said, psychologically... There's a lot of people who just can't accept this reality, even though it's right in front of our faces. It's right there. There's no way that Robert Saubacher just put that letter together, just dreamed it up. You know, why would he want to uh, uh, mess up his 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 uh, his his legacy? Why would he want to do that? No, he wouldn't want to do that. He actually was just speaking the truth. He actually de- delivered a letter to, to William Steinman that had the truth about what he knew. And what did he know? He knows that they're re- recovering these things. They were, he knows. He, he knows all about it. He knew about the beings themselves. He actually saw documentation himself. He states in that letter that he actually saw it himself. And that's just one little piece of evidence. Just one little piece of evidence. But yet, that we can't accept it. There's just too many people on this planet that just aren't obviously, they seemingly unready for it. I mean, the, the, the evidence is right there in front of our faces, but we have all these useful idiots that are basically helping along with the cover-up by, by com- completely trying to change the, 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 uh, the subject uh, to something else. Oh, maybe Saarbacher was a crackpot at that time. Man. After that great career, maybe he just went nuts and decided to write something like that or whatever they would say. But that's where we are. It's, there's evidence right in front of our faces. But there's psychologically, there's a lot of people among us who are scared out of their gourds. And they just don't want to accept it. So that's where we're at. Anyway, uh, I want to say thank you all. One more thing. I forgot. I have to make this statement. Uh, the woman is making me say this. Uh, she wrote it down for me. She says, hold on, let me put my glasses on. The powers that be have declared that I must you uh, I must at, must ask for sub subscriptions and likes, and I actually do read all of your comments. Now, of course, as many people out there know, uh, I don't I don't usually do that. I don't ask for people to subscribe or give me likes. I I, I but I'm I she wants me to start doing that more often, so uh, I have to do that because she's the boss. Anyway. Uh, I want to say thank you all for joining me. Until next time.